David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Hi, I'm David Spade, along with my co-host Elliot Harris. You're listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. Elliot, we usually have two, three guests, but we're going to just have one guest today. He was good enough to fill up an entire hour, uh, an incredible basketball player before some of our audience's time. I remember watching him play for the Boston Celtics. Sam Jones, an incredible offensive talent, played a little defense, too, for Red Auerbach back in the day. And he won, what, 10 championships? Yeah, it didn't hurt having Bill Russell as a teammate, I, I certainly would imagine, but uh, he's seen a lot in his time on this planet. Let's get right to an interview we taped with Sam Jones. I'm doing fine. It's wonderful in Chicago, especially when you come from Florida. <laughs> you, 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 you came up north for the snow and stuff, things like that? Yeah, it is, uh, it's not the snow. It's just the cold weather. It's, it's hard to breathe without a, a mask over your nose when you're not used to this type of weather. I thought you were used to it all those years playing in Boston. You, but you understand, uh, you know, we played indoors. <laughs> it was not like we played outdoors, so... I was not I was not exposed to that type of weather except for maybe twenty minutes at the most. So I felt very very comfortable in Boston. Had it been football or something like that, it would have been different. Okay. I see you grew up in North Carolina and you went to North Carolina Central. Did you have any opportunity to go to North Carolina State or North Carolina? Come on, please. Uh, where you? First of all, I'd like to ask, what state were you born? Illinois. Okay, it's a different it's a different part uh, when you when you're below the Mason Dixon back in the fifties, the forties and the fifties, is that all the schools in the South, south of Washington D.C. was mostly segregated, and so black kids could not go to any of the white colleges during that time. So evidently there was a, there was a time that maybe somebody might have wanted me, but they could not use me. And because of the fact that uh, I was a black man, and so they they we just couldn't go. So we had to choose a black college in those days uh, in the South. Now, at that time, some schools did take African Americans, like some Big Ten schools. Did anybody from the North? Oh, they stopped right there. The Big Ten schools. In fact, uh, I'm trying to think of a fellow who came from South Carolina, who went to the University of Illinois uh, as a football player, knowing very well. But as you get older, you, you forget the names. But he came from Columbia, South Carolina, and went up to Illinois to play, and he, he was a, a, a great football player. I, I think there was a guy by the name of Jesse Jackson who did that. 
Jesse Jackson was not a good football player. That's that's state fact. Well, if you you listen to him, he was. Because he's Jesse. Yes, Jesse's always going to put himself out front. But I happen to know the country preacher very well. He was born in Camden, South Carolina, and he he left Illinois because he wasn't that good. He wanted to be a quarterback, and he went to A&T University in Greensboro, North Carolina. And he did not make the first string. So does that tell you something? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> he talks a good game, but he I'm can't play you. a good game. Well, he's a great, he's a great, he's a great orator, I should say. But Jess is a nice person. But when it came to football, he was maybe a fourth or fifth string quarterback. Okay. Now, were you a football player at all, or were you just basketball? No, in my high school, we had to play a lot of sports because we were a very small high school, but we were very competitive. So I did play football. I played quarterback on my uh, my um, football team, and I and I played three positions on in my baseball team. I played outfield, shortstop, and first base. And I'd like to tell you this: that I actually got a, I had an opportunity to go to a Triple A farm team when I was in high school and one of my teammates uh, who came on, who became a professional uh, baseball player, his name was Wes Covington. Uh, we were in high school together and he, he played with Hank Aaron then when they won that uh, World Series out in Milwaukee. Yeah, the Milwaukee Braves, yeah. 57 and 58, yeah. Yeah, and I still see Hank and I always talk about that. I always, always told Hank that Maybe I could have been a player and have played with him. Were, were you better than Wes Covington? No. Well, I was a better <laughs> hitter in Turkey. No, let me just get it right. I was a better hitter, but as for home runs, he was a much better hitter. We both hit left-handed. We were right-handed, both of us, but we hit left-handed. We did everything else right-handed except at bat. Okay. And so um, – now he was a he was a heck of a hitter, very powerful, and we thought West was a better football player than he was a baseball player. I was trying really? to think of those Illinois football players who came from down south. The only two I could think of are J.C. Caroline and Bobby Mitchell. That's the guy I'm talking about. You hit him. He went to Illinois. Exactly. J.C. Caroline is the one I'm talking about who came from Columbia, South Carolina. You just hit the nail on the head. Uh, in fact, his girlfriend um, went to school with me at North Carolina Central University. Then it was North Carolina College, and she just died about two years ago. Her name was Sally May, who we became great friends uh, for many, many years. But that was her boyfriend in high school, J.C. Caroline, and he came down to visit her during her freshman year there. Interesting. Now, Bobby, I'm still good friends with Bobby Mitchell. Uh, to talk with him and his wife, his wife named Gwen. But uh, uh, Bobby, I see every year and speak with him quite often. So he's kind of down now. We both are getting old and we got bad knees, but we're doing fine. I just feel, feel bad for Bobby that he never got a chance to be the general manager of the Redskins. Yeah, but he had a good job. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, can't, you, you can't knock that. I don't know. Uh, the job that he had uh, representing the Redskins might have been a better job because of the fact there there are not a lot of worries that you have to have. 
when you just have a job, it's, it's like a publicity person who were with the Redskins being the first black to have uh, been on that team. Uh, I think he was, I think he loved what he was doing. And he married well. He married an attorney, so he knew he was taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bob, Bob is quite a wonderful person, and uh, he, he's, a, he's a great person to have as a friend. So who recruited you other than North Carolina Central, then? What was that? Who recruited you out of high school other than North Carolina well, Central? In every black school in North Carolina tried to recruit me. And the person who really wanted me the most was Big House Games at Winston-Salem. <laughs> the place that I wanted to go to school was uh, North Carolina A&T University in Greensboro <laughs> because they had a better baseball team in the black schools. But they refused to give me a baseball scholarship because of the fact they knew they thought I <clears throat> would not play basketball. And John McLendon, and you might have heard the name, um, he, he came down and just got my clothes out to clean because I didn't have that many. He took me back to North Carolina College and said, I need you to try out with my basketball team. And the black schools that, during that time was not under NCAA uh, restrictions because we were not members. And so... The coaches then, the black coaches, let you try out with their teams. And if they liked you and saw what you'd done that could fit in with the teams, then they gave you a scholarship. And the scholarship in those days were for four years. And the only way that I was going to college was on scholarship because my parents did not have any money. And back in those days, there were not a lot of people who were giving out money for black kids to go to college. And so John McLendon, who is in the NBA, I mean, or in the nation of Hall of Fame, he was my coach. And I, he had me for one year because he was very, very successful. But the schools back then didn't have money to give raises to coaches who had won a lot of games. And so he moved on to Hampton. And from Hampton, he moved to um, Tennessee State, AI University, and he won three straight NAIA um, championships. I didn't realize that what the name of your college was back then. It was North Carolina College. Okay, because it had another name for it, and I'm I'm looking at it now. Well, I don't well, think. I, what, what are you looking at? I want to hear this. What are you looking at? National North Carolina College for Negroes. That is correct. That was before I got there. That was that was the name of the college. It I, was North Carolina College for Negroes when it first started. I'm 42, and, uh, so I don't remember that being. No, you're not going to remember. But see, I'm 80 years old, so I'm going to remember all that stuff. In fact, uh, my mother's house is now owned by North Carolina Central University because they had to acquire land to build a school, so. They, they had eminent domain to come into effect. And because of that, um, uh, they bought her land. And she like, she probably would have given them the land anyway. Because that's how much she was in love with North Carolina College at that particular time. Yeah. Where is Laurenburg, North Carolina? Laurenburg is, is, is the southernmost part 
of uh, of uh, North Carolina. That's uh, I would give you this. It's about two hours from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the biggest city uh, in North Carolina. It was about two hours from Raleigh, North Carolina. And where I went to school in Durham, it was about two hours and 20 minutes. But Laurenburg, and Laurenburg is called Laurenburg, L-A-U-R-I-N-B-U-R-G. It was just a great place to grow up. It was only about 15,000 people. And actually, we didn't have a high school to go to. The state of North Carolina paid for us to go to a black boarding school, which was co-ed by the name of Laurenburg Institute. In fact, my mother also attended that school. And by them refusing to build us a high school, they paid for us to go to a boarding school, which really... uh, was a great thing for us in North Carolina because we got a chance to meet a lot of people from the northern parts of the United States, the at least the eastern part of the United States and the northeastern part, and also the southern states. Uh, I met a lot of kids from New York City, from Boston, Massachusetts, from uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Chicago, Illinois, um South Carolina, and even as far as Key West, Florida. Wow. And I had never heard of Key West, Florida back in those days. And, but um, it, it, since it was co-ed, it gave us uh, it's a lot of diversity there. And, and you, you just uh, a, a learning experience because now you're with people you've never met before and people who are trying to get ahead. But... We have remained friends until this day. I graduated in 1951, but we started there in 1947. I even went there before because we had to go to middle school also. But you're not the most famous alumni from that school. I'd probably say, what, Dizzy Gillespie? Well, he was the first. Um, (laughs) Jimmy Walker, who I sent there from Massachusetts, who became the number one draft choice. I think back in 1967 in the NBA, he was a he was drafted in the first the number one draft in the first round by Detroit Pistons. Uh, Charlie Scott, who was the first black to integrate the University of North Carolina, he also went there. So we we had some great uh, athletes, but we've also had some other people who came out as doctors, which was uh, just amazing because of the fact that we, you, you go back and you talk about Brown versus the Board of Education. Uh, the United States wanted to say that it was separate but equal. Well, it was never equal. It was separate, but yeah. it was never equal But because you can look at the, at the uh, equipment they had. We can look at the libraries they had, and uh, we never had anything to come up even standard to the quality of stuff that they had. Yeah. Yeah, that that decision I don't think came along until 1954, by which time you were well into college. Yes. And I even had two years in in the Uncle Sam's Army. They call it the Korean conflict. And what is a conflict when you're having – 
bullets that are shot at men. Oh, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, it was a war that was, was not declared a war, but, uh, you know. Well, that, yeah, I don't give a shit. If it's not declared a war, why are we there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are the people that sit back and make rules, and you supposed to carry out the rules. But the rules of engagement also are not fair. Because there are some places that we could not bomb, and I don't know why we couldn't bomb a place if you were having a conflict and they're shooting back at you. And the people who are making those rules, and we have to implement those rules, it's just not fair. Put them in the same place that we are and see how they think. Oh, exactly. A conflict is the Lakers-Celtic games back in the day, not a, not when you're fighting with guns. Well, I've had my nemesis with the Lakers, too. I just spoke to Jerry West yesterday, and he was my nemesis. And I told him how much I hated him once he put on that purple and gold <laughs> uniform. But after the game, you know, we were, we were the best of friends. And those, now, those are the type of things that happened. Now, after you got out of the military, you went back to school and you had the yes, chance. I had. You had the chance to go to the Minneapolis Lakers, but you opted not to. Well, I first of all, I had met Bobby Leonard, who was in service, who had already played with the Lakers, and met Frank Ramsey, who was my teammate later on, who had already played with the Celtics, and I, I met uh, Al Bianchi. He was also in the service. Okay. who had played with the Syracuse Nationals. And Bobby asked me if I would like to play professional basketball. And I said, I haven't even thought about it. They said, well, I'm going to call. And the fellow name was John Kundler, yeah, who was the coach and general manager of the Lakers. So Bobby called him. And while I was in the service, I was actually drafted by the Lakers. So I became the property of the Lakers. But when I... Graduated. I mean, when I when I got out of service, I elected to go back to college and get my degree because I became the first one on my mother's side to get a college degree, and I promised her I would do that. And so I went back to school and got my degree. But when I went back to school, my name goes back into the hat. And when it went back in the hat, then anybody can select me. Uh, in the college draft. And it was nothing like it is today. I didn't even know I had gotten by, drafted by the Celtics. I just knew I was going to the Lakers on the second round because the first round and the first pick was Hot Rod Hundley from West Virginia. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I think he was in the same backcourt with Jerry West, wasn't he, at the West Virginia? Well, I put it differently. I put it differently. West was in the same backcourt as Hot Rod because at that time, <laughs> Hot Rod was. No, this is, at that particular time, Hot Rod was the man. Yeah, he was outgoing. He was a he was a great guard, and he's got a lot of publicity because uh, of the way his style of play. And so, um, Hot Rod went to the Lakers, and at the same year that I did, he'd been fifty-seven when I went to the Celtics. He was drafted number one by the by the Lakers, and I was drafted number one by the Celtics. I was shocked. Yeah, I just couldn't believe that uh, they took me after winning their first World's Championship. And they won that because of a certain center there that uh, St. Louis was so smart to 
trade his <laughs> rights to the Celtics and Bill Russell? Well, if you if you just think about it, uh, I don't think uh, they wanted Russell in St. Louis. And I think that's why he was drafted, so he could be traded to someplace else. And it so happened, it was a good trade at the time because of Easy Ed McCauley, who had, who had graduated from St. Louis University and also was a, a all-star for many, many years in the Hall of Fame. He was, he was like 6'10", and, and they also won the deal was Cliff Hagen, All-American at Kentucky which is not too far from St. Louis, Missouri. It was a good trade. Who was in the Hall of Fame? So it was a good trade for St. Louis. They got two They got two Hall of Famers for a person who is not a, has never played a game in the NBA. So it was a good trade, but Red saw something that he lacked, and he was willing to make that trade, even though he loved Easy and McCauley. And this thing, uh, they both played for Celtics. No, you're right about that. I mean, Elliot grew up in St. Louis. He remembers those days. Yeah, well, I grew up in St. Louis, Hello. and I, I can remember when the Hawks drafted him, and then they traded him in, and the word from the Hawks was they didn't want to wait till after the Olympics were over because Bill Russell was participating in the Olympics. But I, I thought that was sort of dumb. They, you knew the Olympics were coming when you drafted him, so... Uh, maybe it was racially well, motivated. Now, that, that part I've never spoken to him about. In fact, uh, he's here. We had uh, dinner last night together. But uh, this is something that we've never even spoken about. Uh, he was going to play at the Olympics. Russell had actually made the Olympics in two sports. He finished third in the high jump. And there was a guy who he knew that finished fourth in the high jump, so he he declined the third place so the guy that finished fourth could take his place in the high jump. Was Bo- Boston wasn't the most racially tolerant town in the late 50s? Uh, no, you got to understand that um, there's a lot of things that it works two ways. First of all, Boston was the first to hire a black hockey player. I think his name was O'Ree or something like that. Uh, they were the last to have uh, African American on their team uh, in terms of baseball. Right. But it, it was different. It was early. Um, you, you, there are some people you didn't have to worry about. In Boston, you had the Italians, you had the Irish, you had the Jewish, and you had the blacks. And they had their own area of where they lived. And they knew at night that you did not wander out of your area. And so that was just where it was. A lot of the schools were were, were segregated because of where they were. Uh, for instance, South Boston, there were no blacks living in that area. So they didn't have blacks in their schools. And it took a long time before a lot of the places got integrated in, in Massachusetts, even though it was in the northeastern part of the United States. How did Red Auerbach treat his players black and white? Uh, I would imagine he treated them all pretty much the same, but I wasn't there. No, but he was a dictator with a Democratic <laughs> team. That's what I always say. No, the man was really nice. Uh, I, I, I think he had some specials in Bob Cousy and 
and Bill Russell. Uh, he didn't like to let us know it, but we could see it that they were treated a little bit different. And, and, and I can understand that because uh, they were the bread and butter of the Celtics at that particular time. And we followed their lead. I think they both were leaders in their own way. But the best thing about me playing with the Celtics, I knew that every time Bob Cousy passed me the ball, I had to shoot it. That, that, was, that was a yes, yes. And you think every time he passed me, I shot it. Uh, nobody did it. Said, no, no. I listen. That was the name of the game. When Kuzi passes you the ball, you must shoot it. And why was and that? He cannot pass because he wanted to get the assist. <laughs> and so I know this is true. If I saw somebody open the basket, I can't pass to it because I'm not going to get the ball from Kuzi anymore. So I, I learned my lesson. This was my third year that hey. Cousy passed you the ball, you shoot it. And since I made it, I got a lot of passes from Cousy. Yeah. I, I'm old enough to remember when you played. And I don't, in, in, my, in retrospect, my mind says, I don't remember you ever forcing a shot. It all looks so fluid. Were there, shot, were, were there shots that, that you had to force? I mean, it always seemed like you were open and you just banked in the basket. Let me tell you this. Our plays are so good. Never had them written down, but everyone who played with us, it was in their heads. You got 24 seconds, to, less than 24 seconds to execute because you got to bring it across court. And execution is what mattered mostly with our plays. So we didn't worry about being open. We knew that we we're going to be open, and whether it's Havlicek, or whether it's Bill Sharman when he was playing, whether it's Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, we were shooters, and when they called our plays, we we just knew that we were going to have a good shot all the time. And what bothers me, frankly, mostly, is that nobody has ever come up and asked us, what type of plays did you use? And I think it's so stupid. Uh, these coaches want to use their own plays when we went 12 years uh, 12 years with the same play, we went to 12 Eastern Division Finals. 10 of those years, I went to, uh, no, 11 of those years, I went to the NBA Finals. And, they, and we only lost one. We lost two. In 12 years? You got to be kidding. They must have been successful, and I think they could work today. But not one coach has had the the bright-mindedness to come up and says, let's work, let's try to do those plays in practice and see how they would work with our team. It is stupid because we were, we were so successful year after year after year, even though there are times when you have to change the play and the defense changes our play. And so we know what we're going to do. When the defense react a certain way, everybody on the court knows that we go into another play. It's just like a quarterback uh, calling an audible at the line, but we don't have time to call an audible. We have to watch the movement of the defense, and they would act would then change our place. How did you guys ever lose a game and not have the best record of all time with Kuzi, you, Ramsey, Heinsohn, and Russell? Well, see, I don't say that. I, I, I disagree. 
I came in a league when they had eight teams. I came in when there were 11 people on each team. That's 88 of the best players in the United States because we didn't have a lot of foreigners. And that's why I'm, so I only remember one foreigner on, our, on the team. He was named Swede Holbrook, who was from Sweden. I'm sorry, who was from Sweden. And he was a seven-footer, played with the Syracuse Nats. That was the only foreigner on the team. But it was, it was like not having home court advantage because every team was very, very good. And so I don't think that we had the best team on the floor. I, I'll never say that. I think we, we had a team that was very unselfish and did not worry about how many points somebody else made as long as we got a win because there were other teams who were just as good as we were. And at that particular time, I think all the teams were good. We're going to take a short break, Elliot, and when we come back, we're going to get to part two of our interview with Sam Jones. Stay tuned. You're listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. 